Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. I'll do a quick recap for those that maybe have missed a few uh, of the series and then uh, we'll, we'll jump straight into it. And I think you'd all remember, well, for those that heard three weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mike uh, shared uh, about Nehemiah's call to rebuild the wall and he discussed God's framework of restoration that can apply uh, to our lives as well. And then we had Pastor Michelle and she uh, shared some great keys on building through challenge, uh, the keys of prayer, uh, perseverance uh, to protect and participate in that call as well. And last week we had Scott Pilgrim from Melbourne and wasn't he fantastic? And he shared some great principles on how we can continue to respond to God's restoration in our lives. He shared the principle of confession and thanksgiving, the principle of alignment and praise. So we come to the last week in Nehemiah, and we're going to look at the final chapter, Nehemiah chapter 13. And as I was preparing and read this, it it was really like an epilogue to the story. Have you ever had a, a watched a movie or read a book, and you think the story's finished, you think the plot's come to a nice conclusion, but then there's an epilogue, you know, that little bit at the end that sort of spins it all on its head or, or that, you know, sort of wraps it up a little bit differently to your thought. Sometimes the epilogue's really useful and sometimes you think, man, it ruined the whole movie. You know, I just wish it wasn't there. My imagination was better than that. Well, that's what sort of Nehemiah chapter 13 is in my mind. And see, Nehemiah had been governor, um, and we've heard about his call to build, and he turned the rubble, the bricks, into a beautiful wall, and he'd restored the people, and he re-established culture, he'd returned the remnant to Jerusalem. He'd been there for a long time, he actually went back to his original post. But then there's an epilogue. Then there's this chapter 13, and sort of sometime later, Nehemiah starts to hear that the, the Israelites, the people in Jerusalem, had started to relapse and go back to their old ways. So as the great leader that he is, he decides to come back and take some action to ensure that the Israelites can live as a restored people in the holy city of Jerusalem. I'll give you a quick overview of Nehemiah 13, and we'll put it up on the screen. Essentially, there were four key areas that required attention when Nehemiah came back. There was some temple reforms, there'd been some slippage in keeping the temples holy, and Nehemiah had to take action into those particular areas. There were some financial reforms that needed to occur. The people would stop bringing their tithes and offerings to the temple, so much so that the priests actually had to go out and work on the farm and not in the house because they didn't have any food to eat. There were some priority reforms that Nehemiah had to address, uh, mainly around people not keeping the Sabbath holy and their priorities had shifted and they were disobeying God's command. And the last one that Nehemiah addresses in chapter 13 is some relational reforms. There had been some intercultural marriages that were influencing uh, the people away from the practices of God. And see, in each of these issues, as you read through the chapter, Nehemiah took action as a respected leader to re-establish the Jewish people and culture and restore their lives to obedience in the Lord. And the thing that gets me as I read, read chapter 13 is that just a few years earlier, the Israelites had been doing all the right things in these particular areas. Just a few years earlier, they'd come together and made this commitment to the Lord, but now we find ourselves in chapter 13 and they'd turned away from what they'd committed to do. See, in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, the people said, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. 
Yeah, we come to chapter 13, and in verse 11, Nehemiah says, Why is the house of God being neglected? In chapter 10, uh, verse 37, the people made a commitment and said, We will bring the tithes and offerings to the storeroom and to the house of our God. Yeah, we come to chapter 13, and the people have stopped doing it. In chapter 10, they say, we will follow the law, of our law, the, the law of God and we will obey his commands. Yeah, we come to chapter 13 and there's a bit of a theme going on here. They'd stopped obeying the commands. And as I read through this, I think what, I, what God dropped in my heart is they had the right intention and desire at the start. And they started out well. But as time went on, their actions no longer aligned to their intentions. They wanted to do these things and they started out doing them, but in the end, their actions were not aligned to their intentions. Who knows? So intention is something you desire to do and something you want to do, but action is what you actually do and complete. Who knows there's a difference between wanting to do something and actually doing it and doing it consistently over a long period of time. You see, I think our human nature often leads to discrepancies between our action and our intention. On the 3rd of January last year, I had a really good intention and I went and signed up at my local gym with a 12-month membership they got me. You see, I've been eating a bit of Christmas pudding and it, who knows, it tastes good on the lips, but it sits on the hips. And so I thought 3rd of January with a few hints from my wife, I better go sign up at the gym. And so I signed up and for three months, my actions aligned with my intentions. I was up at 6 a.m., I was doing classes, I was doing weights, I had a personal trainer. Uh, I think, uh, I thought, man, this is great. But let's not talk about the other nine months of the year. Because after about three months, you know, life gets busy, things happen, kids get sick, all these things. And for the rest of the year, my actions did not really align with my intentions. And I'm sure we can all think of a time in our lives where our actions haven't quite aligned with our intentions. Um, and it's not just in our general lives, but it can be in our spiritual lives and our faith journey as well. You see, oftentimes we have a good faith intention. We have a good uh, a desire to do things uh, that God has called us to do, but what we actually do doesn't always correspond to what we want to do. You see, when we accept the gifts of salvation, when we decide to follow Christ, our number one desire is to live for and follow Him. However, as Christians living a new life in Christ, we still have to wrestle with our past. We still have to wrestle with sin. We still have to resist things that are contrary to what God has for us. And you know, the Apostle Paul writes about this in his letter to the Romans. And he says this, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. And instead, I do what I hate or I do what I don't want to do. What a wretched man I am. And he's basically saying, as hard as I try, my actions don't always align to my intentions. And you see, in the Nehemiah chapter 13, the Israelites had started off in a good place. Their actions were aligning to their intentions. But over time, their actions were no longer aligning to what they should be doing. And I just want to look at a few things today that we might be able to apply to our lives and how we as followers of Christ can live consistently with actions that align with our intentions. 
And the first thing I want to look at today is, and I think one of the keys of, um, to, to, live, to living with actions that align with our intentions is we need to be alert to the impact of small things. You see, in each of the areas that Nehemiah had to address, it, it, the people had started to make small compromises in their actions, which were leading to bigger consequences in their lives. It was Benjamin Franklin who once said, you've got to watch out for the little things, for a small leak can sink a great ship. And I want to look at uh, Nehemiah and the priority reforms that we talked about, and we'll pick it up in verse 15, and it says this, it says, In those days, I, Nehemiah, saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and they were bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. But people from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise, and they were selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. And I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing desecrating the Sabbath day? You see, to the Israelites back then, the Sabbath, uh, by, by working on the Sabbath and not treating the Sabbath as a day of rest, it was in direct disobedience to the command of God. You see, the Sabbath was set apart as a day of rest that uh, they acknowledged that God was in control of their nation, that they acknowledged that they were a holy nation that were dependent upon God. But you see, cultural influences had started to uh, lessen the priority of the Sabbath to the Israelites at this time. And now you can see in the passage, they were working, they were selling, they were making money, doing a great trade on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem. He says, what is this wicked thing you're doing? I can't believe you guys are working on the Sabbath. And you see, if you think it through, at one point they were resting on the Sabbath, but now they're working. And I imagine the change started small. Maybe just one or two people doing a couple of hours quietly on a Sunday afternoon. I thought, well, if I can make a few dollars and no one knows, that's a good thing. For you. Oh, you know, no one will know. It's not a big thing. And then someone else probably saw them and all of a sudden people all started working. And then we get to, you know, the, the situation here and it's like the central markers of Jerusalem are buzzing on the Sabbath when it's supposed to be a day of rest. Remember that shampoo ad a number of years ago? It, it, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. So what happened here with the Sabbath. It didn't happen overnight, but over a number of years with the small little choices, there were big consequences, and they were disobeying God's command. You know, see, I think that's relevant for us as Christians today because we live surrounded by many different cultural influences in our life, and these cultural influences seek to deprioritize our faith beliefs. And we need to be alert to these small things. We need to be alert to the cultural influences that can lead to small changes in our actions that are contrary to God's intentions. And often it can just be several small things, several small changes in our actions that can cause us to really significantly move away from the direction that God has for us. Could just be small attitudes, could just be a little bit of apathy, could be a bit of materialism, a change in priorities, self-sufficiency, pride, maybe some impu impurity. It might just seem like little things as you say these things, but when you combine them together, they can have big consequences. You see, Nehemiah came back and he was alert to the fact that compromising just one issue, just the Sabbath, but in compromising this one thing could have big consequences to the nation of Israel. 
And if you read on, he actually reminds them that the exile, the reason they were exiled out of the promised land was because of they directly disobeyed God's commands in the first place. And so then he takes action and he, he literally guards uh, the gates at night. He, he sets guards and says, no one can come in. We're not trading on the Sabbath. It's got to stop. And he takes action and he restores the people in this practice and restores the priority of their actions. You know, I believe as a community of faith, both, in, both individually and collectively, we need to be alert that allowing small things to grow in our lives that are contrary to the will of God can have big consequences. I remember growing up, we used to read uh, these, I don't know if you remember these Jungle Doctor Christian comics. And I've got this particular one here that I used to read when I was young. It's called Little Leopards Become Big Leopards. And essentially the story that this is based on is an, an analogy of uh, a village in Africa. And, and one of the villagers finds a small orphan leopard out in the jungle and brings it back to the village. And they begin to care for it and nurture it and feed it and play with it. And the chief in the village warns him and says, I don't think this is a good idea because... Little leopards become big leopards, and big leopards kill. And the village said, ah, it's fine, it's just a baby, it's fine. And they looked after it, and the months went on, and, and probably the years went on, and this leopard grew and grew and grew, and it was still pretty playful, but it was a lot bigger and stronger. And the chief warned him again and said, you, you can't keep this leopard in the village, it's not safe. Little leopards become big leopards, and big leopards kill. And in the end of the story, the leopard reaches adulthood as strong and it eventually succumbs to its animal instincts and it turns on this person who had cared for it and attacks this villager. And really the moral of the story, and in the same way, when we ignore our sins, when we ignore the little things in our life, even though they're small, they can grow to become big and dangerous. You see, we've got to be alert to the small things. We have to be alert to the small things. If our actions are going to align with our intentions, we have to be aware of the small things. Because to live consistently, uh, we need to attend to these things before they grow bigger. And I think one way to stay alert is, is, is a way that I often uh, pray the prayer in Psalms 130 and, and, and say, God, you know, search me, O oh God, know my heart, test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And as we pray prayers like this, we say, God, is there something small in my life that I need to take action on? Search my heart. Is there something there that I'm not alert to? Because sometimes I'm a bit inattentive. But is there something there, Lord, that I need to address? Because I don't want something small growing into something big and leading me away from the will of God. And like Nehemiah, I encourage you, I encourage all of us, we need to take action in small things. And if the Lord is prompting you or maybe putting something on your heart today, I encourage you, write it down, make a commitment to take action. You might need to speak to someone, you can uh, you know, be accountable with someone. If it's an in an area that you know, the Valiant Man course might be applicable, that's a great resource. There's a lot of resources in Clovey that want to help us get on top of small things before they become big things. But if we're going to live with actions that align with our intentions, we have to be alert to the small things. And the second thing I want to cover this morning is if, is if we want to live as people with actions 
that align with our intentions, we have to give our all. You have to give your all. Now, I love sport and I love watching games where the players on the field or the court, they give their all. And the commentator would come up and interview at the end and say, man, you left it all out on the court. You left it all out on the field and these players are exhausted and you know that they gave their all. It's always good when they win as well, not like the Port Power on Thursday night. They gave their all, but it wasn't good enough. But you see, when players give their all, it's, it's a really awesome thing. And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment that we, we, we need to follow in, in the Gospels? Jesus replied this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all of your soul. And as you read that, it's quite clear and unambiguous that when we commit to following Jesus, it's not a half-hearted commitment. He wants all of us. You see, as followers of Jesus, I know that that is often our intention, yet sometimes it's a challenge to align our actions to give our all. It's a pretty hard thing to do sometimes. And I just want to look at um, the temple reforms that Nehemiah had to take action in in chapter 13. And see, the circumstance was that while Nehemiah had left Jerusalem, there was this high priest called Eliashib. And he had actually cleared out a room in the holy temple and he'd given it to a guy called Tobiah the Ammonite. He basically invited this guy in to come and live in the temple. And now, if you're familiar with the, we've been following through the, the book of Nehemiah, Tobiah was Nehemiah's arch enemy. He was one of the guys that opposed the building of the wall. He was one of the guys that was mocking Nehemiah. He actually planned to fight and stir up trouble with Nehemiah. And in nearly every chapter in Nehemiah, his name is mentioned as opposing the building of the wall and the work that God is doing. And when Nehemiah left, all of a sudden, the priest invited him in to come and live in God's holy temple. Needless to say, Nehemiah was furious when he found out. In verse 7, he says this, When I, Nehemiah learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God, I was greatly displeased. And I threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the room and to put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. You see, the temple was central to the Israelites' identity because Yahweh was present with them through the temple. It was essentially the physical location of God's dwelling place with them. Tobiah had no right to have a room in the temple. He had no right to have a place in God's holy temple. So Nehemiah, furious, I imagine he would have been pretty angry. He literally went in and threw all the things out. He cleared that room. Reminds me of maybe Jesus clearing the temple in the Gospels. And he threw them out and he purified that room again, ready for service and dedication to the Lord. You might think, that seems like a bit of an overreaction. It's just one room, it's just one guy, it's not a big deal. But Nehemiah knew that compromise in one room meant that God did not have the whole temple. Compromise in one room meant that the whole temple was not dedicated to God. You know, and I think that's relevant to us today because God's temple no longer dwells in, God's presence no longer dwells in its physical temple. It dwells in each one of us. 
You see, in the heart of every believer and through Jesus Christ, we are the new temple. We are God's dwelling place. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, You yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you. And if you link it back to God's commandment, in loving the Lord, you go with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. God wants all of us, not just part of us. He wants all of our temple. Sometimes I think it's easy to give God most of us, most of our hearts, most of our lives, but sometimes it's easy to just keep a room set aside for something like a Tobiah, something we know is opposite to the will of God, but we just allow it to take up residence in our lives. We allow that room to just, just stay with us and say, well, God, you can have the rest, but there's this there's just one room, this, this one's a bit messy, it's a bit tricky. I'm not quite ready to give that particular area up. And this thing just takes up residence in our life. But you see, if we're going to live with actions that align with our intentions, it requires surrendering your all. It requires surrendering every room in our lives and opening up our lives to him so we can be wholly committed to Christ. You see, I know in our house when we have people around, uh, there's a room that... We sort of throw everything in where we need to clear the mess. You know, I'm sure we all have the spare room. For us, it's the laundry. You know, if you ever come to our house, we will not let you go in that laundry. It's messy. There's smelly socks. There's, there's, you know, we've cleared out the lounge. It's all in there. I don't even know if the door can shut. It's a messy room. But sometimes in our lives, there might be a room that's a little bit messy as well. When you look into your heart and your life, and it might be something from your past, it might be uh, something that, you know, we've been hanging on to, and it's a little bit messy, and you sort of say, I'm just not quite ready to dedicate that to God, or we, we just sort of hold on to that, and maybe it used to be an area that's dedicated to God, but it's not anymore. Maybe it's an area you find hard to actually trust God in. So, well, I trust you in everything else, but I just can't quite trust you in this area. You know, I think the challenge for us today is to give our all to him, to open up the rooms in our life that might be messy, that might be hard, but to open them up and say, I'm ready to clear out the room. I'm ready to clear out. I want to give you everything. I want to give, make room for you, God, to restore me and renew me. I want to give you space to establish your presence in my life. Is there a room in your life that maybe God's knocking on the door? As we go deeper in him this year, as we're pursuing him and allowing him to restore us, I want to leave that thought and challenge for you to ponder today, this week. Is there a room that maybe you need to open the door? Because as I was praying, I felt God say that there is someone here. And there's a room that he's been knocking on for a while. And he's saying, you can trust me and open that door because I want to restore you. And he's saying, trust me, open that door and allow him to come in and take all of you, allow him to make you whole. And I just want to leave that. I really feel there's someone here today that needs to hear that, that you can open that door and allow him in and he will restore you because he loves you. And if that's you, I just encourage you to just, you know, again, take some action. 
It might not be easy, but there's so, so, so many resources here at the church, and, and Pastor Mark and Michelle and the team are committed to making us whole, fully restored, fully committed followers of Christ. Is that you this morning? Is there a room you need to open to him? And the last thing I want to touch on today, and I think is the single biggest key for us to live with actions that align with our intentions. And and, uh, it's this, it's just to meet with God daily. To meet with God daily. Because when you meet with the Lord on a daily basis, you grow close to him. You build relationship with him and his spirit comes and aligns, enables your heart and mind to align with his so that on a daily basis we can live uh, in his will and our actions can hopefully align to his intentions. You see, I think making a daily habit of meeting with the Lord, experiencing him uh, in in worship, in prayer, in the word, in, in, in meeting together with other believers. As we make this a daily habit in the way that suits us, everyone's different. But as we make it a priority, uh, it, it allows the Holy Spirit's power to come in and restore us, align us and change us. It enables us to start the day with our eyes fixed on him, our hearts aligned to him. So our actions can, throughout that day can then be in accordance with his will. And I know for me, it's often such a challenge to make it a priority. You know, life is busy. But I think sometimes, yeah, I think there's a book that says, you know, too busy not to pray. Because life's busy, therefore I have to make it a priority. I have to make meeting with God daily a priority in my life to enable him to, uh, to enable my actions to align to his will. And for some people I know it's hard to come and meet with God, especially maybe if your actions haven't been aligning to his intentions. Because when that happens, sometimes we have thoughts of shame and condemnation. We sort of know that we're a bit guilty. We haven't been doing the right thing. But I want to remind you, like Pastor Luke said in, in worship, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus because by his grace, he has made a way for you to be restored. And I love this verse in Hebrews, and Pastor Luke uh, prayed it over us in worship as well, Hebrews 4, 16. It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Yes, I believe God is calling us to come boldly to his throne of grace, especially in our time of need, especially when maybe our heads are down especially when we feel a bit of shame or condemnation. He's saying, come to me. Your acceptance isn't based on your performance. Your acceptance is based on Christ's performance on the cross. He's saying, come with confidence to the throne of grace. Lift your head up. Approach His throne. Say, God, I know my actions haven't been aligning with my intentions. And God says, that's okay. I know your heart. I know who you are. I know you're only human. He's saying, come to the throne of grace especially in your time of need. Come and receive my mercy. Come and receive my grace. Come and receive my love. I want to restore you. I want to renew you. I want to put a new spirit and a new heart. I want to restore your mind. And we have to approach the throne of grace with confidence, with our heads lifted up saying, God, I want to receive your mercy today. You know, there's a hymn called He Giveth More Grace. And it was written by a lady called Annie Flint over a hundred years ago. And Annie was an orphan child 
And she grew up with dreams of being a concert pianist. But in her early 20s, she developed rheumatoid arthritis. And by her 30th birthday, she was wheelchair bound, in daily pain, couldn't walk, and literally back then put into a sanitarium for her, her pain. And even though she physically was never restored, even though she lived every day in agony and suffering, Christ was powerfully restoring her on the inside. And she wrote many beautiful poems and hymns and this particular one, He Giveth More Grace. I just want to read a few words as we close. It says, His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth, He giveth, He giveth again. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. And I'm so grateful that this is the God that we serve. Because I know that on a daily basis, I have to come to Him and say, God, my actions haven't been aligning. And I'm so grateful that I can come to His throne of grace with confidence and know that God says, I will give, I will give every day more grace, more mercy, more love. And I can approach Him day after day and say, God, I need you. And I want to leave you with a challenge for this week. Will you make time to meet with God daily this week? Will you make the time? Because He's waiting for you. I just invite everyone just to close your eyes where you are.